0: you're listening to a podcast from the media motel coming up this week in episode 531 the brill building in four songs an immersive experience with the Beatles, and remembering when levi jeans stole the singles charts that's all coming up after the zootons and valerie And I think of all the things, what you do.
1: They get together, they break up, they get together. In fact, they're in a get-together phase right now, currently mm-hmm. recording their fourth album with Nile Rogers producing at Abbey Road. Uh, this was a single from their second album and it reached number nine in the UK, top 40 from 2006, The Zootons and Valerie.
2: I do like the Zootons, I must admit. And it's unusual to hear that version. You mostly hear the the Mark Ronson and Amy Winehouse version nowadays. But like you, I was very surprised to see Niall Rogers producing the new Zootons album. That wasn't that wasn't a sentence I ever thought I'd say at Abbey Road as well. But uh, <laughs> no, they've had some good numbers of Zootons. I very much liked You Will You Won't. I remember playing that all the time when I was at they were one of my university bands that were out around and about at that time. And that I liked the artwork they used to have on their albums in the early days. It was that sort of stylized kind of comic book stuff that they had Mm. going on. They're an interesting, interesting band. I'm glad that they're they're sort of still going. They had a bit more about them than some of the bands of that time. They had a bit of a sort of a bluesiness to them that I think I think sort of will endure. So looking forward to hearing their new stuff.
1: Mm, Great. Welcome to Parish Council Episode 531. I'm Terence Stackerman. Has she flown in on Jeff Bezos' private jet? Let's find out. It's Juliet Harris.
2: I mean, I don't know if it's physically possible to fly 10 metres from one room to another, but if it is, then, then that's very much what I've done. Hi, everyone. If you were to walk
1: along Broadway by 49th Street in Manhattan today, there's every chance you would walk right past, without a glance, towards one of the most important buildings in pop Mm. music history today it's home to a huge cvs pharmacy and above that there are huge digital uh, billboards uh, Mm. promoting broadway shows it's 1619 broadway and it's the brill building
0: Mm. and
1: on the upper floors some connection with music remains there's a recording studio up there and paul simon still has an office there but little evidence overall that this was the hub of pop music composition through the 1960s from the locomotion to unexpectedly it turns out sugar sugar mm. um, Bacharach and david goffin and king libra Stoller, ellie greenwich very long list of composers who got together in this seemingly magical location to write hit after hit in the, Sixes, as part of a series. This is Pop on Netflix. We watched episode eight, the Brill Building in four songs, which um, opened Jules with Neil Sedaka telling us he was the nineteen fifties Justin Bieber.
2: <laughs> that also made it as far as my notepad. I must mm. admit, there were. This was a very interesting program, and actually, the four songs format was interesting in that it was pretty much split in 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 sections yeah. around there. Them. I found it got better as it went along, actually. Mm. So I found that that the, the deeper the set, that the, the, the deeper we got into it, I just found the people less irritating and more enjoyable to listen <laughs> to. I must admit. I mean, bless Neil darker, but he had a very high opinion of himself, didn't he? And also, the we heard a lot from Linda Perry. The Talking I mean, Heads again. Yes, indeed. having said that, I say Talking Heads. If you want to get ahead, get Linda Perry's hat. Mm. It was huge, wasn't it? it? Wasn't, that should have had yeah. its own program. Anyway. Um, there was they had some interesting things to say. Yes, this was this was sort of the polar opposite of the thing that we enjoyed about the Glastonbury film that we watched a few weeks ago, which was that mm. they had no Talking Heads. This had lots of them. However, I did very much enjoy uh, Stevie Van Zandt being uh, captioned as you know, <laughs> so you know, East Street band member, songwriter, and brilliant enthusiast. And I felt that he genuinely was a, yeah. a brilliant enthusiast. And 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 the the Talking Heads that were less enamoured with themselves and more actually interested in telling us about what was going on was was great. I think although I don't. Even the irritating people had interesting things to say. So so Linda Perry saying about um, the importance of chemistry to sort of be to, in a band to create a legacy. I thought that was really interesting. The fact that she and Neil Sedaka both said the same thing, which was that that they felt that they were visited by songs rather than creating them and they just sort of got them out. And that chimes in with our, you know, I say friend of the podcast. He's not familiar with us, but we very much like Sir Paul McCartney and the Beatles in general. So, and his sort of tale of waking up and playing yesterday that he dreamt. So it was interesting to hear other people talk along those those lines. I, it told me more about the Brawl Building than I'd already knew. I did learn things from it. The fact there were 165 music-based businesses in the Brill Building at one time um like I said, I, I felt as it went along, there were people that, that the, the talking heads became more interesting. I enjoyed Donita Sparks rewriting Leader of the Pack to make the narrator the actual mm. leader of the pack. I thought that was that was good. Had fun. you
1: heard of her before? I didn't know who yes, she was. Yes, I
2: knew she was in L. i I'm going to uh, see L. Seven next year, so I uh, was familiar with that. They were a girl band, so I was familiar insane. with Donita Sparks. Um, the most interesting section for me was the section about Florence Greenberg. Now, I didn't really know who she was. And she was a real pioneer, and actually that brought us. I thought our most interesting and generous um, talking head, um, who was um, Beverly Lee from the from the uh, from the Shirelles, who they spoke about the incredible. We used to love me tomorrow, and and Florence Greenberg was the first woman and president of a of a record label. Yes. And what was so interesting about that was that you know. Beverly Lee was, I think, one of the most pragmatic talking heads I've ever seen in that what they were essentially saying was that they were promised a load of money that they didn't get and and that, you know, they weren't good at business. And it turns mm. out neither was the woman that was running the label, it would seem. Um, but having said that, when Beverly spoke, Beverly Lee spoke about sort of at the end of Florence Greenberg's life, how she'd sent her flowers and basically she'd just, you know, she, she'd sort of forgiven her really. And she just felt, well, you know, a lot of things happened and we still had amazing opportunities. I, I I found that very refreshing. That that you don't. It's very generous, isn't it? It was extremely generous, and it said great things about her. Actually, also didn't realise that that Florence Greenberg was the mother of B J Thomas. He made an appearance, didn't he? Sort of with his Grammy award, uh, rather with the Grammy award that was presented to her. I felt it, it ended on a very moving note, and I I thought that the Andy Kims. Um, Mm. He said some his his thing. It feels like the future doesn't belong to you. I thought that was such a a moving thing. And then of course when that choir sang "Sugar, Sugar" at the end, I yeah. found that so uplifting. And it kind of showed that the Brill Building, the stuff was made in the Brill Building that will last forever. I mean, it was it was the, the songs that we heard about are still played today, are still sung today. It was it was a little bit Talking Heads heavy, like you say, and mm. the, the the narration was very obvious wasn't it there are moments where I felt like saying to the race look can you just shut up just Mm. a minute I know what is happening having said that it was lovely to hear from some of the people like Beverly Lee to learn a little bit more about people like Florence Greenberg and just to enjoy the songs which are which will last forever I think
1: I enjoyed this film very much it it had a a warm feel to it but Mm. I'll just get a negative out of the way first. Yes, fair enough. Go on. Why on earth did they decide to recreate some meetings and recordings from the Brill Building in the 1960s by filming bizarrely cheap dollar store plastic dolls
2: yes. in poses
1: in a sort of ad hoc doll's house?
2: That was um, very um, twee, was wasn't it?
1: Weird. It diminished mm. our understanding rather than enhanced it. It was an extraordinarily terrible production decision. Otherwise. Um, yeah, I I agree with you about Neil Sadaka. He doesn't hide himself, you know, away, does he? in when when it comes to describing his no, he merits, thinks he's marvelous, doesn't he? Yes, <laughs> it's lovely to see him at eighty-two yes, um, strolling in, along form, the board. Yes,
2: absolutely agreed.
1: He was one of a couple of contributors who uh, reckoned that his uh, you know, you've got to mention this his, his Brill building songwriting came from somewhere else, somewhere spiritual. Mm. And I found that quite interesting um yeah we we learned of how leader of the pack and will you still love me tomorrow were written and that that was fascinating and also um just as bands that wrote their own material and and singer songwriters in particular were just coming into prominence we had the last hurrah of the 1960s in the broad building and i didn't realize that the arches and sugar sugar was written Hmm. by andy king andy kim sorry and jeff barry um, and that it was originally intended for the monkeys as well. Yes, that the, was interesting. That I fun. didn't know that. It was a fascinating film and I'd recommend it to anyone with a interest in, in songwriting or just in the evolution of pop music.
2: Absolutely. It was fun. And also the, the, the elephant in the room, I will mention it. It was a very good documentary, given they evidently couldn't get access to Carole King, because that yes, was the person yes, that you probably yes. really wanted to hear from. And she and she either, you know, well, basically they couldn't get access, could they? And that was a shame. That would have that would have straight sort of rocketed into something excellent. But it is part of a series, I think, to some extent. Um, it was a similar sort of format. And, and perhaps we can talk about this in, in a later week or viewers might want to watch. Listeners might want to watch this. There was an excellent uh, Netflix sort of documentary series, again, with eight parts of a similar length called um, High Score about the history of video games. And the format for this was very similar in the it seems to be a netflix hallmark i wasn't surprised by the dollar store dolls because they do these kind of documentaries the oh. high score it's all done with computer graphics where they kind of have a lightness to them and they have a sort of a kind of almost like a sort of a toy angle to kind of keep it a bit quirky and a little bit i oh, suppose right. to the youngsters i agree with you that it's sort of jarred here it works better on the on the high score series but um that's very this was very much a sort of a uh, the, the, the mo of how netflix do these documentary series so yeah. so it kind of makes more sense if you've watched a netflix made documentary series before but no i thought this was a lot of fun i look forward to watching more episodes of this is the sort of thing that i've been meaning to watch for ages and just haven't got round to there's a there's a brit pop episode that i'm very much looking forward to so so yeah but this this was great i very much recommend it and if the others in the series are of this standard then they'll be worth watching too
1: well, this is pop, including the episode that we watched, The Brill Building in Four Songs, is available on Netflix. Coming next, they took all the Beatles and put them in a Beatles museum. <laughs> uh, that's, that's right after Parcels. Parcels.
0: I need
2: in advance. The uh, the title to this song is all squashed up as one word and I remember someone asking a singer, Sophie Ellis Bexter once, um, who was originally in a band called The Audience, spelt all lowercase, all one word mm. um, while the letters were squished up and she said, I don't know, I think we just wanted to annoy people <laughs> and I wonder I wonder if this is a similar thing here but this is tied up right now, all one word, by the parcels or just parcels I think they are and I wasn't familiar with this until a few days ago. Uh, I, I'm a, a a user of a, a, Apple's music, iMusic I think it's called and or Apple Music and it constructs a radio station for you which seems to consist of things that you already listen to a lot, similar things by those artists and other stuff that they think you might like and this fell into the latter category and I really like it, I've played it a lot since I am i don't know much about Parcels but I'm very fond of that. It's a
1: terrific track, I hadn't heard it before and equally I hadn't ever come across the band but that, that is superb, I really enjoyed it. Oh, okay. um, yeah um i've never been to liverpool it's not a crime in itself but um
2: (laughs) oh i don't know
1: (laughs) (laughs) something perhaps of an uh omission for someone like me who is such a devotee of the beatles Mm. i was at a wedding recently and there was a contingent there from liverpool and they were all saying to me oh you have to come you see Mm. all the beatles connections visit the cavern and so on But I'm not so sure. I mean, would it be part of that philosophy of never meeting your heroes? You know, is it better that Mm. it's all in my imagination? I have thought of venturing up to go on the National Trust tour of Paul McCartney Mm. and John Lennon's childhood homes. But again, I think I might get, a bit over emotional at that and just yes. like weep my way through the visit
2: <laughs> I um, I probably
1: would. <laughs> as for the many uh Beatles in liverpool tours um the cavern isn't the original cavern of course and mm. i think i might find it a bit weird and un- unfulfilling sitting on a on a vomity bus with dozens of people taking photos of uh mm. i don't know the penny lane sign and oh look there's strawberry fields i'm not sure it would be a positive experience But now, even the government is moving into the action. It was announced last week that there is to be a £2 million investment into a project called The Pool, which is to be an immersive experience, a phrase to set me running in the opposite direction. Absolutely. Jules, will you be heading northwards to join the queue for this immersive Beatles experience?
2: well i think probably what i'm going to do for the next 5 minutes is complain about it and then i'll probably end up right. going anyway is is Fair probably enough. what what the, what the what the answer is i mean i you know having been fortunate enough to go to abbey road i'm wondering if anything could ever beat that to be honest i i would like you i i would be reluctant to go to something that was having experienced that but that haven't been so lucky to experience that that is sort of substandard I mean the question I suppose one asks really is um, you know is this the best way to spend money in Liverpool really and of course it part of me is very struck by the fact that Liverpool was of course once a sort of hive of industry I mean the docks are still operational but no perhaps are nowhere near the extent they once were and you know, part of me thinks, is it just is it just going to be reliving past glories? Is Liverpool destined to relive past glories forevermore now? Um, this article on the BBC website describing all the sort of different different things. Um, Steve Rotherham, the, the Metro Mayor, says, just like the government's invested in Stratford-upon-Avon for the Shakespeare stuff, I love that, the Shakespeare stuff, we think the Beatles are a huge global attraction for the UK and should have something of significance in the Liverpool city region. We want something other than just looking at old art artifacts. You know, John Lennon's underpants in a glass case. We want something that people be attracted to. And I and I very much see the argument for that and the importance of celebrating heritage. There was Nadine Dorries, the um, somewhat improbably the Culture Secretary at the moment, um, made this tweet where she, uh, I mean, I think I'm going to read this because it is so dreadful that I feel that other people should suffer it as well as me. Now, can you see what she's done here, Terence? Oh darling, the government has come together to invest two million pounds into a major new Beatles attraction with a little help from my friends at HM Treasury and taxpayers' support. We're getting the waterfront development in Liverpool going. That's something to twist and shout about. Groan. Mess- I know mess- that was a, a minister a minister of the crown tweeted that. Anyway. Hmm. There's a there's a there's a sort of a flip side to this, a B side, if you will. Hey. Um, thank you. Um, Liberal Liberal Democrat councillor Andrew Makinson was amongst its critics, saying the project is one quote and this is a quote for the ages. Nobody in Liverpool is aware of asking for. And I think that rather sort of splits in. Who is this for? Is this for the people of Liverpool? Uh, Joanne Anderson, who's the, 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 the Liverpool mayor, so the city mayor rather than the retro area mayor, says that she thinks it would create a world-class visitor attraction, a blueprint for the future of music education, but most importantly, it will create opportunities and joy for the people of this city. To which I suppose the question is, is will it? How many jobs will it create? How much money will it bring in? Will this genuinely be a huge success or will it just be another um, centre for popular music? which came and went in Sheffield without making very much in the way of benefit. Will this be another Millennium Dome? Um, Liam Thorpe, who's uh, the political editor of the Liverpool Echo, says the news has left many in the city questioning if what Liverpool really needs right now is another Beatles attraction with families battling poverty and cash-strapped city council struggling to make more savings. And I suppose that's that's the question, isn't it, really? Is there, you know, there's an unfinished hospital in Liverpool, there's a stalled major road scheme, you know, is this should this be the priority right now is this going to is this really going to create m- much for the people of liverpool or is this just going to be another white elephant
1: It is a difficult question to unravel because although there is plenty of criticism that this two Mm. million quid could perhaps have been better spent on helping people living in dire situations in Liverpool, there is this counter-argument that a a thriving city with new attractions could bring more visitors, create new jobs, sustained Mm. employment, and sustained employment is generally felt to be the best way as a starting point out of relying on benefits and poor living conditions. So it's, you know, it's one of those kind of... Balanced kind of nuances mm. that I'm never quite sure which way to, to fall down What could be worth looking at is if it goes ahead, it'd be worth looking at how this ABBA hologram show works oh, out yes. next summer because a really good, and I do really mean not mm. on the cheap, Beatles hologram live performance I would, would be to a that, sensational crowd. Yeah, I'm imagine reenacting the the Cavern Hamburg. I don't know Shea Stadium, or the the um the rooftop in Savile Row. Yes, Road. now there's, that there's might get me up to Liverpool. There's potential in this.
2: That's a great mm. idea. That's, I mean, like you say, let's see what happens with this Aber hologram mm. thing because that, like you say, that's really interesting. And I I wonder if. Well, who knows if the people have uh, behind this have, have had that in mind or not. But like you say, that would, that would tip it into something extremely special and like you say, would likely create a lot of money. Although, again, one wonders who is in charge of it, who owns this, how does the money filter back down to the people of Liverpool? That's always going to be my major question, I think.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's right, and uh, I mean the the, the the sort of hologram thing would be great as opposed to, and I totally agree. with I think it was uh, you said Steve Rotherham who said, yes. um, you know, I mean, I really don't like museums. I want to like museums, yeah. but I don't like museums because it has become so tedious, even if it's quite interesting material. But just seeing stuff behind a a glass case yeah, with having, a little to... plaque next to it, mm. say, say, you know, it, it's it just doesn't give you energy, it doesn't give you a buzz.
2: No, and, exactly. Uh, I agree. Although I would I would uh, counter argue to that very slightly by by mm. referencing the exhibition that we both went to separately, which was the revolution at the VA. Mm. Um and that had some things there that had the original Sergeant Pepper costumes. Um it, but it, in a glass case, like you say. But yeah. that that um that exhibition was such a good match, I think, between having things in cases that you looked at, but hearing music as you went all the way through they found a way of bringing that all to life and when you sort of stood at the end um, with Jimi Hendrix doing the the Star Spangled Banner in the Woodstock film, sort of on three video screens surrounding you I think there is a way to bring that to life, like you say. I I agree that you know, very quiet rooms um, with one person sat in a chair in the corner making sure you don't nick anything and you know, this kind of polished floor and this sort of stullifying silence that's not good. Having said that, there is a way of bringing things to life, if you think about it sort of intelligently, which they did do at Revolution at the B&A
1: Very good. Right? Coming right up, remembering when Levi Jeans stole the mm. UK singles market. That's next after talking about the Beatles, Paul McCartney and George Michael. Dude.
0: Say the things that you do. He must have really hurt you to make those pretty eyes look so, so blue. He must have known that he could, that you'd never leave him. Now you can't see my.
1: George Michael in the style of the Beatles and particularly Paul McCartney and then Paul popped along and recorded it with him it's it's rarely played but I think it's absolutely wonderful it's tucked away mm. on a George Michael greatest hits compilation called 25 from 2005 George Michael with Paul McCartney and heal the pain
2: Yes, I agree. I haven't heard that in so long. And I, I probably did hear it on a George Michael Greatest Hits when I first heard it. I might have heard it on Ladies and Gentlemen, but equally, I might have been making that up. But um, yeah, it's a it's a lovely song. I don't know why we don't hear it more often.
1: It is so lovely. In 1873, when mm. Levi Strauss first patented what he called work pants, um, I'm reasonably sure that he would not have predicted that 120 years later, the clash, would be promoting his jean, jeans by mm. allowing Should I Stay or Should I Go as the soundtrack to a television commercial for his brand of truces. Um But just as, as more recently, the Christmas television adverts for the John Lewis stores seem to have made a mark with the British public. So it was back in the mid 80s, right through the 90s. Um, Jules, when any song. Picked to accompany a Levi Strauss jeans advert was just about guaranteed a number one spot in the UK Top 40.
2: Absolutely. So strange, wasn't it? And it really changed the advert. Um, so, they, so they really changed the kind of the, the, the atmosphere and the the attitude towards you know, this idea of that you were selling out. It was so surprising, I think, that The Clash, who, who very much were always anti-selling out, let their music be used on this. Um The chap that, that is that was one of the, the heads of it, um who's he's called Sir John Hegarty, the creative director at London-based uh, creative agency, Bartle Bogle Hegarty, BBH, that's quite catchy, who uh, ran the 80s and 90s campaigns that they did. And he's quoted in this excellent Guardian article as saying the music industry went from, I don't want to touch out, ap- advertising to completely swinging around to please can we have some of our music in your advert which is so true I think it's it's, it's an interesting article quite a lot of the music that, that Levi's picked obviously Should I Stay or Should I Go was well known anyway but they they quite a lot of the music they picked was often quite quirky and quite unusual and and bands that had previously been rather unknown and um, Norman Cook uh, aka Fatboy Slim who was in Freak Power at that point and um, described finding out that they wanted to use turn on tuning cop out in their, their advert as it was that winning the lottery phone call he said we were slogging around p- clubs playing gigs and frankly weren't setting the world alight we needed something to kick us up in a, a division so that t- t- turn on tuning cop out which I think most people probably would know is the one that goes "Dum Dum 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 doom it reached number 29 when it was first released but it went top 5 after it was re-released and was in the Levi's ad taxi. and the fact that all the Levi's ads you Used to have little names so uh, stiltskin as um, music was used in creek and it's interesting here that the um the stiltskin singer who went on to sing with joseley uh, genesis ray wilson says that he auditioned for the band in january 1994 he says my house was being repossessed because i couldn't pay the mortgage i signed on the dole and drove down to london's old volkswagen van that was falling apart weeks after we were number one They
1: didn't didn't really boost their career at all. No, and he's actually
2: said they they didn't have another hit. And he actually says he chalks it up to too much success too quickly. You can't go up from there. It's not the best way to start a band's career. We came together within weeks, so we didn't have a relationship. We ended up hating each other. And there was a very memorable scene, and it used to get played on MTV all the time, where they did MTV's Most Wanted. And they were told that there were millions of viewers. Uh, this chap and the guitarist and songwriter were sort of a- at each other all the time. And uh, Peter, the guitarist and songwriter, kicked him in the face on live TV. Um, they said on the one hand MTV were peed off, but that little clip of Peter kicking me in the microphone, flying out of my hand, they used that for twelve months on the on the trailers. It's really interesting some of the music that was used. Um, Flat Eric, you might remember the puppet of uh, of Flat Eric, um, sort of the 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 yellow little puppet thing. That was a song, a weird techno song. I bought that album on the strength of that, the Mr. Wazzo album, and it was called Analog Worms Attacks, and um, the flatbeat was the tune. And the rest of that album was really weird and really <laughs> odd and kind of weird French gloopy techno. They just happened to use that thing. The same with them... Um, infamously spaceman by babylon zoo um the, the the quick bit was used in the levi's advert and everyone was very excited and went and bought the single and most of the single does not sound like that most of the single mm. is very is very sort of slow and strange and it's it's interesting isn't it it's um it's um as, as as summed up by um Stephen Wells in the NME millions of pop kids rushed down Woolies and bought the single of Spaceman only to get it home to discover that to their horror that it was good like in the advert for about 10 seconds then became rubbish very rubbish it's uh it, you know I, I used to buy a lot of songs that I'd heard on Levi's advert and Nanny in Manhattan by Lillis is a funny little psych pop track that was their only major uh major uh pop success um the the vocalist Kurt Heasley, I love this quote that he says that he felt pressured to follow up with music people could instantly grasp by the second chorus he said we're this weird, rare odd thing and people were like, more meat more potato, we're more like truffle oil on chips, I'd like to build myself as that Terence in the future, I wish to be known as the truffle oil on chips of the podcasting world, there was some um there were some of these. This, there were some of these traders that were very, you know, some really well-known and respected directors cut their teeth on doing these adverts. Um, real uh, listeners might remember um the underwater love by Smoke City and the Mermaids advert, which is perhaps one of the most memorable of their ads, directed by Michel Gondry, who went on to do Internal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and lots of really well-known um video promos, people like Bjork and the White Stripes. Um, it, was a, it was a weird old thing, wasn't it? They made quite strange adverts with quite strange music that all of a sudden became very cool for a brief time.
1: Yeah, there's been any number of studies looking at the relationship between music and advertising, and there seems to be a, something, a, a consensus, I suppose, that music can be the single most stimulating element in it. TV commercial. I was reading a study this week uh, looking into this. It, it claimed that music is a quote perceived as a potential peripheral cue used to positively arouse the consumer's mm. emotional state. End of quote. And I I think it's a fair bet that we we shall see more and more of rock's rich canon in commercials in coming years because with all of these heritage acts selling all the rights to their music to hedge funds and mm. financial investment companies, those companies are going to start looking for. A return and licensing tracks to TV commercials must be the easiest way to do so. And uh, you know, I, we can envisage seeing, you know, like Fleetwood Mac, who have sold their catalogue dreams mm. for all those endless mattress companies that seem to proliferate these yes. Days. And Yes. Um, Yeah, maybe a pop will eat itself moment. Maybe Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone could be used to sell yet another Rolling Stone's Greatest Hits (laughs) compilation, you know. Um,
2: Absolutely, yes. All of these
1: artists have sold off their back catalogs in the last year, so who knows, we we may even see a revival of the Levi Jeans commercials uh, as a result of that.
2: Well, indeed. Although interestingly, there was something that was edgy about that. Um, that that was that I, I'm not sure if you could replicate. Um, you've got you've got um sort of he- Hegarty here from the from the BBH people or the BHH people saying. Um, about TikTok, and it's quite possible that TikTok, Norman Cook says, will become the next kind of organic thing. Where oh, really I mean, good. where where people will will songs become? There's been a real craze. I think we've we touched on this previously about random songs becoming huge again mm. because of, they were using on TikTok and the, I think the strangest thing and I'm delighted by this, uh, regular listeners might remember me talking about a band called Life Without Buildings um, which I really love who were from Scotland, they were an indie band, they didn't really do very much, they sort of took on cult status because you couldn't get their uh, their their album Any Other City for, for ages and it's been reissued twice I think on vinyl in the last five years I've got one of the reissues and they had a song called The Lean Over which I think think I've picked some time ago on this podcast It's a lovely song and I first came across it because it was on a rough trade post-punk um, compilation which came out on CD in 2003. Now I mentioned this in passing when talking about, about this with, with some people the other day and one of them then said oh but did you know that it become really massive on TikTok and apparently mm. it's got this spoken word intro. Uh, Sue Tompkins the singer is it sort of says if I lose you if I lose you lose you and apparently it became this big thing on TikTok with young people who probably weren't even alive when it mm. came out the first time round. When I, you know, when I was listening to it from college, miming along with the beginning, and that's become not knowing the history of the record or anything about it, but just seeing it as a cool thing to mime along to. So, and of all the songs that I thought would get a TikTok revival, I really wouldn't have predicted that. So, so it's it's interesting to see what will happen. And Levi's apparently has recently partnered with TikTok, so it'd be interesting uh. to see if they're able to to replicate that on there. Hegarty says, and I think this is an interesting uh, point, there's always a relationship between music and clothing. The trouble is you've not got anyone going out there making a big statement about it and leading the market. Um, Someone always says to me, how do you predict fashion? You can't predict fashion. What you can do is write interesting, challenging, distinctive little stories, and that way you might have an an influence. Well, actually, I think Hegarty just summed up TikTok in one one fairly easy sort of quote. So maybe it time. Hegarty also says that they don't think that the 90s run could happen again and actually Levi stopped Mm -hmm. using original music in the 2000s. Flat Eric was their kind of last hurrah at the end of the 90s and they said the way that advertising works today it doesn't quite have the confidence or if I can use that word swagger as it had back then he says that people have lost confidence in those big brand statements about what they are, who we are, how they behave so it's interesting to think that actually Levi's were seen as being a bit edgy at the time by doing this sort of edgy but cool. Who knows? The fact that they've jumped on t- the TikTok bandwagon, perhaps the fact they've jumped on it as a bandwagon means it's already too late. I don't know, mm-hmm. but it'd be interesting to see what happens and, and whether you know TikTok will continue its run of sort of unlikely repurposing, unlikely hits.
1: Wait, absolutely, could very
2: well happen. Thanks very much for listening this week. Good to have you along. Yes, thank you for continually coming back. I really appreciate it. Jules, um,
1: say it's seven o'clock on a Sunday (laughs) and I'm
2: thinking, where can I
1: hear some smooth, soothing, popular music? Where might you recommend in such a case?
2: I mean, at this is a point, at which I could just say turn on Magic FM, but no, I will promote my own <laughs> my own endeavour. Um, I do a show called Smooth Sailing on my uh, Mixler channel, mixlr dot com, and then if you search my name on there, it's Juliet Harris. Um, and I just like Terrence so so brilliantly puts it. I do a lot of uh, smooth, uplifting tunes, classic pop, easy listening, yacht rock, all that sort of thing. Seven to nine live on there, or if you just go to my page, if you click the show reel button, you can catch up on previous shows at any time.
1: I'd I'd forgotten that Patty Smith had <laughs> recorded this album of covers.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and it it didn't get the greatest critical reception at the time. It got very mixed reviews. Some outlets really disliked this, and um, I, I I'd rather do like this. Actually, I'm a Patty Smith fan, and I think whether or not you enjoy this album probably hinges on how much of a Patty Smith fan you are. So it's a covers album called Twelve, which came out in 2007. Uh, the bonus edition does actually have an extra track on it to make it 13, I suppose. But anyway, um, it's a, it's an I find it's quite enjoyable. There are there are some songs that she doesn't do radical too but i love patty smith's singing voice i love the stories that she manages to tell with her singing voice and so i particularly enjoyed this version of a song that i really like anyway um this is patty smith doing tears with fears everybody wants to rule the world
0: welcome to your life